Well, this is part three. We've been talking about David and Goliath, and so uh, I'm going to get into this this uh, third part. And uh, I want to just talk about this firstly. I want to review some things from last week and uh, just remind us that we've established the fact that God's perfect will for Israel. Who knows Bible history? Everybody remember your Bible history. God's perfect will for Israel was to enter the promised land and to have rest within their God-designated borders. I want you to say God. is a tongue twister. God-designated borders. It was not the borders that Israel decided to set up or said this is good enough, this is far enough. God actually told them, these are the borders that I have commanded is yours. Right? Everybody remember your word. So the Bible says, though, what happened is they, they went into the land, and, uh, and every enemy was supposed to be conquered. And although the Israelites partially, everybody say partially, they partially completed the task that God commissioned them to do, and that he promised he would be with them and wouldn't fail them, they didn't fully follow God's plan. Everybody remember your history. We went through a lot of those verses last week. They didn't fully follow his plan, and so 400 years later, Goliath and the Philistines came against Israel. You realize Goliath and the Philistines were not God's perfect will. God did not want them to exist 400 years ago, but because of human nature and humans either we think better than God, we think we're smarter than God, we don't even realize, uh, but what happened is they decided instead of killing all the enemy, let's make some of them our slaves, and God said because you did that, they're going to be a trap to you, and let's look at the text. Uh, it says in Judges chapter 2, it says, Judges chapter 2, verse 1, The Lord said, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your answer. So God swore that he would do it. I brought you out, and I brought you in. Everybody say, he brought us out to bring us in. Right? So God brought us out of the world to bring us into a covenant with him. And he said, I, I swore I would never break my covenant. Say, his covenant. But verse 2 says, for your part, Right, because it was a covenant is two parts. There's two parts to a covenant, right? A handshake is two hands. It's my hand and the other party's hand, and we're shaking and making an agreement on something, right? That's a covenant, right? And so God said, I didn't break my covenant. You didn't do what I told you to do. That's what it says here. And so what happened is because they didn't destroy their altars and, and so on. We went through this last week, and you disobeyed, and he says, why did you do this? Verse 3, now I declare that I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns. I want you to say that word outside. Thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. It says in Judges chapter 3, and uh, I keep touching my screen and losing my place here. Judges chapter 3, it says that the nations the Lord left to test the Israelites, 
This is in just verse 1, and then he says to teach them warfare, verse 2. In verse 3, included the Philistines, and Judges 3, verse 4. So there were nations that were left, and uh, these were the thorns. They were the Philistines. He said, these people, verse 4, were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So the whole reason that the Philistines are still there 400 years later was so that there would be, God said, I just want to bring you in. I want you to see that I'm God. I want you to trust me and I'm going to do it. I want you to rely on me. But since you took it into your hands to do it your way, now there's going to be constant thorns. But it doesn't mean that you're abandoned. It means that there will be a reason for you. I will, I will basically allow this. I'm going to use it. Everybody say he uses everything for his glory, right? Everything. He works all things together for his good, right? For his glory. Those who love him are called according to his purpose. So he says, I left them to see whether they would obey the commands the Lord had given to their ancestors through Moses. So you see here through Scripture and Judges, we find out why the Philistines were even there. Was actually was uh, to get the people, it was actually to get them to decide, I'm going to trust God. God used an enemy, really that was meant to be destroyed, but wasn't to cause them to have to trust God. Amen. So this is very interesting because this exact language is what we see, and I looked at this for several weeks. We looked at this in the beginning of the year, talking about relying on his strength, and uh, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You all know this uh, portion of, of Scripture very well. This is where Paul is actually saying 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. It says that I was given a thorn in my flesh. It says that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Well, that's exactly the language that we see the Philistines were. You guys see that? The Philistines were a thorn. But the Bible says that when this thorn pricked me and Satan was tormenting me, he said, to keep me from becoming proud, in other words, I had to be humbled. I was humbled. I had to humble myself. I, had, I was humbled or I humbled myself. One way or the other, God put me in a position that made me rely on him. Amen. The thorn, no matter where it came from or how it got there or what it was caused by, did one thing, and it made me rely on God. Verse 9, God said, and we know this verse very well, my grace is all you need, right? My grace is sufficient. My power works best in weakness. And it says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. Verse 10, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So we see that God didn't want Goliath to taunt the people. God didn't want the Philistines to be there, but Capital B, capital U, capital T, God is good, and he is, he is gracious, and he's merciful. He's beyond us, isn't he? God is bigger than we can possibly understand. Adam and Eve were not meant 
I, I firmly reject that they were always meant to sin so that Jesus could come on the scene. I don't think, I just, God is so big and so beyond us that he knows the end from the beginning, but I don't think he put Adam and Eve there and their whole destiny was to sin so then Jesus could show up. I don't. I don't know if you agree with me or disagree with me. We could have a theological debate on that, but there are uh, uh, schools of Christianity that believe it was always meant to be. It had to be. My Bible says that they chose. My Bible says they perceived. My Bible said that they saw and they liked and they looked and they did. That's what my Bible says. I don't see anything about being forced. My Bible also says, though, that God is so big and so beyond us that Jesus, right, in the book of John, who is the Word, became flesh, was with God in the beginning. So it was already being worked out. Even uh, I was just re listening to an audible book. There's a mathematician, uh, prophecy guy, and uh, etc. And he was going through some of the math of the Old Testament. Believe it or not, it, the, the Bible is so perfect. God is incredible, isn't he? God is mysterious. He's the poet. He's the artist. He's the lover. He's also the mathematician, right? If he wasn't, you know, even one degree, if the sun was one degree this way, the earth was one degree this way, the moon, right? So God is also a perfect God, and uh, he's the scientist. He's all of it all at once. And uh, this, this scientist, mathematician, Christian, was going through the books of the Bible and the Old Testament and showing how really, even outside of Scripture, just the math, it's beyond me trying to describe to you in this sermon, all right? So I'll just, you have to believe me, you can listen, if you're curious, you can, I can tell you and listen on your own. But the point was that just the mathematics of how the books line up and the characters and the stories line up, they point to Christ. It all points to Jesus. So I want to say this. That just because you're in a situation, it doesn't mean God did it. We did it to ourselves. The enemy did it. But it doesn't mean that God already hasn't had a plan in place to get you through it. Amen. Who believes that? All right. So God didn't want Goliath. He didn't want the Philistines to be there. That's Bible history. You, if you read your scriptures, that was not his plan. But it's there. Who's in a life now that was not God's plan, but you're there? <laughs> Who believes, right? Just the fact that we are in these fleshy bodies that are falling apart is proof enough this was not God's perfect plan. But God is good, isn't he? And God is a rescuing God. And God had the plan. I like uh, my pastor says he, God had the plan before the plan. He, God had the pre-plan. All right, the devil had a plan to destroy and to steal, kill, destroy, right? And, and to take Adam and Eve's dominion away, God hit the pre-plan. So God used them as a tool to encourage the people to apply their faith. Do you hear this? The Philistine, God said, you know what? You guys messed up, but I'm going to take this situation and I'm going to use it as a tool. Amen. This situation you got yourself in, you know, God never caused anybody to become a drug addict, an alcoholic, etc., right? God never caused you to beat your wife. God didn't tell you to do those things, right? Divorces and all kinds of messiness and, and babies at 13 and all kinds of craziness, right, that we do on this earth. But how many times that very same situation that was a big, giant mess, God turned into a miracle? Amen. 
They say uh, this in Christianity, and I love it. It's not just Christianese. I believe it. The test became your testimony. Amen. Right? The test became your testimony. We cannot point our finger and say, well, it was God's destiny. I don't think that's correct. I don't think it was his destiny Right when uh, you hear about a drug addict who finally gets saved, he becomes like the, the biggest preacher ever. You know that you you guys can watch YouTube and find those guys. Uh, that wasn't God's destiny. That's God's grace and His mercy. Amen. But you know what happens? You know what happens? You know what Jesus said? He who has been forgiven much, loves much. Right. What ends up happening though is God's like, I can use this guy. He's actually prompting every single person on the earth to come to him. He's trying to get every single person on the earth to turn to him. But the person who hits rock bottom, the person who actually goes through hell, they recognize the Lord sometimes a little bit clearer than the person who appears, quote-unquote, because they really don't have, it, have everything, right? The person who appears to have everything, they're a little bit harder to win, right? Who's ever heard someone say, what do I need Jesus for? But the person who has nothing is get willing to give it a try. I've heard people get saved by saying, well, if Jesus is the last resort, I don't care. If he's, if he's willing, you know, if he's, if, he's, <laughs> if he's God, then so be it. Give, I'll give him a try. And that was their spark. The point is that God, just like we see in, with Paul's life, is that there is a grace and there is a strength. There is a reliance on him that comes sometimes. And I, wanna, I don't want to be as bold to say to every single believer, but I almost, I really think that that's what, where you end up getting to. If you haven't been humbled yet, you will be. Because what it does is it gets us to a place where we have no choice but to rely on him. It's actually his love and his grace and his mercy. God actually will allow situations to push you into a place where you have to put your hands up, where you have to hit your knees. It doesn't mean he did it, but he will allow it if he sees that a person is not turning in the fullness of, that he desires for them, or even worse, is on a destructive path of sin and death and etc., right? The Lord will humble us. The Lord will create... Uh, uh, avenues of escape, because that's what my Bible promises me, that there is nothing, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I quote that a lot here, because that's the promise, right? There is nothing that we go through that God also hasn't provided a way of escape. There's nothing, there's no temptation that we don't also have a way of escape. God is there with us, and that's the whole point. So the Philistines were used by God to put faith into action. Everybody say faith into action. Right? So they all said, we have faith in God, we're a godly nation, but now suddenly Goliath is standing there and their faith is become evident, which is not faith at all, but doubt. And so, uh, how many times has the trial opened the door to your destiny? How many ministries started from a person going through something to turn around and make it a mission to rescue others out of the same issues. How many have trusted God and relied on him and what they thought was faith 
became the fullness of faith, like James says, when they needed to work it, right? It's not that they didn't believe God. It's not that Jesus, it's not you're earning salvation. This is not about earning heaven. See, what happens is the devil likes to muck everything up. He likes to take theologies in our word and just kind of mix it all together so it all becomes confusing. And I think one of the biggest things is, is that this is from the devil, is he has tried to take the entire gospel, all the principles of the gospel, and make everything just about salvation, being saved or unsaved. And it's not quite that clear. So then it's like, well, I'm saved, so who cares? That's what ends up happening. I know we don't even say it you know, necessarily out of our mouths, but a lot of people say, well, if I don't have as much riches in heaven, then so be it. I'd rather I'm saved, so I, that's okay. That's good enough for me. I'm going to live a little worldly because at least I'm saved, right? Who has at least heard someone kind of at least allude to that? And that's very sad because it's not just about salvation. Actually, if you really read your Bible, that's called the base things. Everybody say the base things. He says it's the base things. He calls that milk. You know, like being resurrected from the dead, the milk. But the meat of the word is really growing, becoming like Christ, and living like Christ here on the earth. I've said it many times, it will not be the last. If all that salvation, if all that, I'm sorry, if all that Knowing Christ was his salvation, then the moment we get saved, we would just go to heaven. But it's not just salvation. He has saved us, yes, to be with him in eternity, and thank God for that we could never, ever earn that. You cannot do anything to earn it. And this is where the devil has confused, and everybody argues about works or not works. Works are not you earning salvation. You cannot do it. Works are you outworking. Everybody say outworking. I'm working out, I'm walking it out, what I say I believe. All right, I already believe it. He's already saved me. Now my life is requiring something from that. Does that make sense? I used the example last week. I've used it before. You say you believe in gravity until they open the door to the airplane, right? And you're either going to trust that this parachute is real, you know, <laughs> you understand the concept, I have faith in this parachute is going to help me. Okay, you can have faith while you're on the ground, while you're packing it into your bag, and you can feel it, and you can touch it, and you can imagine it. But until the door opens, you didn't really have faith. Faith became action, right, which then became full. That's the fullness of your faith, right? Amen. Who believes that? Right, so we believe in Christ. Then we go into a situation where we become, where we know Christ, where the real is it, where we actually, it's not that you didn't believe, but God allows situations where what you said you believe now either becomes, do I really believe or don't I? And I'm not saying that that's going to be easy. I'm not saying that's going to be a walk in the park just because Christ is with you. It might be the hardest and the worst thing you've ever been through. But I promise you this, he will not abandon you. He will not fail you. The Holy Spirit is there with you. And, and this church can testify that when we come through those situations trusting him, we do know him greater. Our faith becomes greater. Our faith is now real. And actually, the next situation that comes upon us, we know now where to go and how to act access what God wanted from us all along. Amen. That was a mouthful. So this is what happens 
The Bible says here, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 4. The Bible says, Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall, and he wore, we, we read this two weeks ago, but I'm going to read it again. He was a big guy. He had lots of armor, and he stood there, and it says, uh, verse 8, to taunt. He stood there, and he taunted the Israelites, and then he said, uh, you're just the servants of Saul. You're only men, which is interesting because he's kind of showing who he is. And he says, choose a man to come down here and fight me. And if he kills me, we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you'll be our slaves. And I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified. Everybody say terrified. And deeply shaken. Everybody say, and deeply shaken. Who has ever had a situation in your life that terrified you? Anybody ever been deeply shaken? You know that God doesn't judge you for that? People think that faith is not being afraid. People think that faith is never, ever having a weak moment. That's not faith. That's mind over matter. That's foolishness. That's human thinking. That's Buddhism. That's all craziness. Faith is, I'm afraid, but I'm going to trust God. Faith is, I'm actually shaking like a leaf. Talk about shaking. But I don't know who else to trust but him. That's faith. Now, this is very interesting. The reason I'm reading this again is because I really believe that the Lord wants us to get this. The Bible says this went on for 40 days, and no one was brave enough to stand against Goliath. Why this is so significant is... We've already established that the Philistines and the giants, and we went in, I didn't even touch about how the giants were spared, but uh, the Bible says that, just a reminder, Joshua killed the giants in the area that he lived in, but he left them in these towns, Gath, Ashdod, and, and a third town, I can't remember right now, but these towns right on the other side of his border. And if you look at the map, they're right there on the edge of where he lived. Now, technically, it says that there was no giants in the land of Israel, but it was not in the land that the Lord had designated as borders. It was the borders that they had designated for themselves. Do you understand that? So what happened is, is the Philistines, actually, they had fought the Philistines many times. Even Saul had led his armies to fight the Philistines many times. Who knows the stories? You remember Samson? Remember, Samson was led by the Lord, had the Spirit of the Lord to go and also and fight the Philistines. Why suddenly were they so shaken and so terrified by one man? Even though God was using the Philistines as a tool for them to have to trust him, right? They would doubt him. Then they would say, okay, we trust you. They'd cry out. The Lord would raise up a judge. That's what the book of Judges is about, right? God used they're crying. They, it gave them a reason to cry out because they would get into sin. They would cry out to God. God would deliver them. They would go back into sin. God would deliver them. That's this roller coaster. Why suddenly even Saul, who had defeated 
many Philistines already were they so afraid. Everybody tracking with me? Everybody here with me? Sometimes the devil comes in a way, when it's demonic, I mentioned this, but when it's demonic, you can't explain it. Who's experienced this type of fear and this type of weight, type of oppression? It doesn't have any rhyme or reason, right? Now, this is, this is what's weird. When we wake up from a bad dream in the middle of the night, why are you afraid to get up and go use the bathroom? And why do you think your blankets are enough to protect you? <laughs> right? As long as I stay under the covers, I'm good. Bullets, swords, teeth, claws, I mean, whatever your dream is or your evil is, they're not going to penetrate past blankets. I have armor-plated blankets, apparently. And the point is that you have to understand something here. There is a level... When we're talking about the demonic world, we talk about when the enemy rises up like a Goliath, when you really do the study of what he was, he was really representing Satan, representing his god, Dagon, which is the dragon. You guys can do your own research. And he stood there. He even, even his armor was made. Uh, we translate it, the King James, kind of, we translate it as like male, you know, like, you know, English armor, but that's really not accurate. It's actually scales. He wore scales on his body like a serpent, like a dragon. When it's demonic, there's another level where your strength, it will, you will never, ever have enough strength. You will never going to, like, get your head in the game enough when we're talking about the enemy and his tactics. We have no choice at that moment but to trust God. In fact, you have to trust him so much that I've mentioned it now many times recently, but just like those boys in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you have to say, we may die, but I've got no choice. I, can't, I have to trust God. That is the only thing I can do. There's a level, and I, and <laughs> I didn't realize that when the Lord was bringing this sermon to us for this time, it would become so relevant for the times we're in. But there is a, a level of fear. There is a level of chaos. There's a level of shaking that no man can stand against. There is no strength in you to stand against. We've all faced it personally, like I just described, even a, a dream, you know, a demonic dream, how it can, how it can literally just cripple you. It's so silly when you think about it when you wake up. But in the moment, you don't have reason, right? When you wake up, you're like, well, what was I afraid of? And if I click that little button called a light, suddenly that makes everything better, right? It's just the dark. But there's no rhyme or reason. And this is, this is the thing. And this is where we're going to get into right now, just as we bring this sermon to a fullness here. And, and as being part three, is that David understood who God was. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy 7, verse 17, he said, perhaps you will think to yourselves, 
how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? Verse 18, but don't be afraid of them. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh. And remember verse 19, the terrors the Lord sent against them. And he says, and remember the miraculous signs and wonders. And that's why I even had us this morning just to stop and remember what God has done for us over and over again. Because he says, God will use that same power against all the people you fear. Verse 21 Do not be afraid of those nations, for the Lord your God is among you. Now, let me give you the secret inside information. All you have to do is flip a couple pages back, and you find out why Saul, who had faced Philistines before, was amongst those who suddenly was trapped by fear for 40 days. And it's because the Bible says, he really didn't recognize that God was among him. The Bible says he took things into his own hands, and God says the kingdom is out of your hands, and I went to go search for a man after my own heart. And here comes David, verse 23, back in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. It says, as David was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, and David heard him shout his usual taunt. This is very important here. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. David heard him shout his usual taunt. It's the same thing that Goliath had done and been doing for 40 days, and nobody could overcome their fear. David didn't overcome his fear. He trusted God to help him through his fear. Amen. The Bible says that then David heard him, in verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. But verse 26 says, David asked, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? What David recognized is is that this is an enemy. He's defying my God. And because I trust God... And I don't have the strength, and I don't fight enemies, but God's with me. He says, who is this? Who is this pagan Philistine? The Bible says in verse 31 that David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. I want you to say this out loud. I will fight him. David said, I will fight him. Now, as to be expected, Saul replies, don't be ridiculous. There's actually so many things I could say about this, but you know, 
the king here, really the king, it's not, Israel's just not just a nation. You understand that the king was picked by God. Saul was anointed by God through Samuel, and it was the only nation on the earth that was God's nation. So this was God's king, and he has the most doubt. Don't be ridiculous. It's amazing who the enemy will use. It's usually through the person you love. So don't judge the people you love when you're going through something and you're like, okay, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm dealing with this situation, and the enemy will speak to them. Remember how uh, Jesus is saying what he's about to do, and Peter says, you're not going to do that. I won't let it happen. And he says, Satan, get behind me. It's not really Peter he was talking to, was it? It was Satan he was talking to. It's amazing the voices that will come that uh, from the people that you love the most or that you trust the most. You know, this is the king. This would be like, you know, going to your king. You know, this is the guy who's leading us, and he's like, there's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. He says some facts here that are facts. You are only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. The Bible says in chapter 16, and you don't have to look here on the screen, I'll just tell you, that Samuel went to go find this man. God said, I want you to go find. I've selected someone to be the new king. And when Samuel came, he says, uh, he says uh, Jesse, I want you to gather your sons because I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the next king of Israel. And so finally, they all come and they're all gathered there. And the Bible says that when Samuel looked, he took one look at the oldest, Eliab. And the Bible says that the Lord said to him, don't judge by his appearance or height. Why was that significant? Isn't it funny? The Bible is very significant. I already told you that Saul the Bible says, was head and shoulders above the rest. Really, Saul is the picture of human strength. You cannot conquer Satan in human strength. He will win. His taunt will win every single time, and it will not stop until the Spirit of the Lord. David represents Christ, doesn't he? Come on, let's just look at the, all the pictures here. Jesus is came from the seed of David, right? Jesus is really even called David, right? Because he was the one that came and rescued the people from the control. If you look at what was going on, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that were running the kingdom, they were running it in a humanistic way. They were looking for loopholes. They were look, you know, they would say, we trust God here and we love you, God, here. But then they would cheat and they would steal and they would do everything they could behind the scenes, right? The Lord's like, I'm looking at the hearts. So, uh, what happens here is God tells him, don't look at his appearance or height. It's not a coincidence that Saul was tall and Goliath was tall because God said, I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know that that's all God needs is a humble heart. That's it. That's the only thing that you can actually fight the devil with. The only thing that you're going to be able to stand up to the, the, the battle, the trial, the tribulation that you're going through in is a humble heart. 
You cannot muscle your way through it. In fact, if you try, you will frustrate yourself. Who has frustrated themselves by trying to muscle them through a situation that they needed faith? And what happens is, because we're going through it, we're uncomfortable, and it is an uncomfortable situation. Goliath is there. He's taunting. And so the Bible says, let me just, before I get ahead of myself here, I want to, let me bring this to a, to a fullness here. David persisted. He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, and when a lion or bear came, this is 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, and into 35, he's like, you know, when that happens, I grab them, and I club them, and I rescue them. And if it turns on me, I've, I catch them by the jaw, and I club it to death. I've learned that I don't run from problems. They're bigger than me. They're harder than me. But it's not me who did it. It's not me. It's because God was with me. And we know that because he's about to say it. He said, I've done this, verse 36, to lions and bears. And I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And he says, verse 37, the Lord, everybody say the Lord. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. That is the key right there. He still did it. Everybody say he still did it. See, faith does require action, but it is not your strength. All you are doing is putting your hand into the Lord's and saying, okay. And that's really what we did when we got saved. I, we all said to him the same thing. I made a mess. Maybe you can make something of this life. Right? Have we all done the same thing? I made a mess. I did it my way. Now I'm going to do it your way. And that's that humble heart. That's all that God needs. Because then he steps into the scene and then Goliath is not standing against David. He's standing against Jesus Christ. The enemy's not standing against you when he taunts you. But if you want to get into that fight, you can. I don't recommend it. The Bible says here, for sake of time, I'll just, I'm just going to tell you, right? Saul tries to put on his armor. Saul says, okay, if you're going to do it, here's how I would do it, even though I haven't done it. Right? Everybody then wants to tell you how, you how to do it. Everybody's got an opinion. I haven't done it, but here's how I would do it. Here's how I would handle your situation. I've still got to conquer my own devils, but here's how I would conquer yours. Right? You know what David did? I love this. You know what he says? He took it all off. Just took off all the armor all the fleshly strength, all the human strength. David knew this is only going to happen one way. This is either going to be God or I'm going to die. That's it. I'm either going to get through this situation trusting God or I'm going to die. I am not going to do this in my strength. We need to become aware of this. I know it's a fine line. See, the devil loves to muck things up, like I said. He likes to muddy the waters. See, mind over matter and faith look very similar, don't they? Right? Because mind over matter is like, I can do this, even though I can't, but I can, right? That's mind over matter. Faith is, I can't do this. That's what we need to get. But we've taught, faith's been taught, yes, you can. You can do it. No, you can't. You can't. But he can. 
I know it sounds so similar because it's that he says, it's not, Christ, it's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So yes, it could look like suddenly I came out with a strength that didn't, I don't know where it came from, like mind over matter. And yet, it's so different because as true believers, we realize it wasn't me. It wasn't me, it was Christ. And see, David was not bragging that he killed the lion and the bear. He brags on God. He says, you know what? I did it. I'm not afraid because I've seen God do it before. Not, I'm not afraid of him because I've, I've done it before. But he says, he testifies out of his own mouth, the Lord who rescued me from the claw of the lion. See, he understood it was the Lord who did it. And that's why he was so confident. Because he saw the Lord deliver him once before. What's the difference today? It's a bigger enemy, but it's the same God. I want you to say this out loud. The trial is worse. The giant, he's bigger. But my God, he's the same. And he's delivered me before. Amen. So I think it needs to be read again. I know it's 1215, but I just want to read this. The Bible says he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and he went out there and he stood before the Philistine in verse 41, 1 Samuel 17, Goliath comes to him. Goliath's taunting him just like he's been taunting them. And he's like, am I a dog? Verse 43, you came at me with a stick. And he says, come over here. I'll give you your flesh to the wild animals. But David replied, and we read this two weeks ago. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, David replies to the Philistine, You come to me with sub-strength. Your powers are with sword, spear, and javelin. You may come in the devil's strength, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you've defied. And today, the Lord will conquer you. What did David say? The Lord will do it. And I, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I think this is funny. I love the word. The Lord will conquer you, comma, and I will kill you. Wow. But do you guys see this? Do you see that? See, David understood that the battle was won before he before he flung the stone. We're just interacting with the plan of God. We are partners. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there, I'll just tell you. The Bible says that we have been brought into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. We have come into partnership, or you may know it as fellowship, with Jesus Christ. Who knows the verse? We are partners with God. I'm on the earth. David recognized, yes, I'm on the earth, and it's going to look like I did this. And in fact, God's going to use the situation to, to bring me into a whole other destiny in my life, right? Talk about, talk about the worst situation being the springboard for his destiny. The king of Israel, nobody even knows it yet. Samuel knows it. David maybe kind of understands it. Maybe he knows it fully. And nobody else knows it. God's going to use it. But he understood this principle, that the Lord's going to do it, 
and then I'm going to walk it out. We need to understand that, the God, that God has done it. This is what we need to get into our heads. God's already done it. I may not see it yet, but before I even see it, we have to come to the place where we realize that God's already done it. Do you understand that? It's already done. God will conquer you. Then, then I'll run out there confidently, and I'm going to fling the stone, and that's what he does. He says, he says, verse 47, everyone here will know the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. So the battle that you're in, whose battle is it? Wow, doesn't that give you some confidence? If you are battling with Satan right now, and because you're, you're going through something, and you're trying to trust God, you need to understand something. You're in the Lord's battle. Who wins in the Lord's battle? The Lord does. The Lord wins every single battle. There is not. There might be the perception that the devil has gained ground, and it's a lie. It's just not true. He will give you to us. Goliath moved closer to attack. David ran out, and he hurried, and he flung his, his sling, verse 49, and the Philistine was hit in the forehead. The, the stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground, and David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. David ran over. He pulled out Goliath's sword, and he cut off his head. God is with us, isn't he? God is with us, not in our battle. I want you to understand this, and I really just want you to get this today. God is with us in his battle. As soon as you became a believer, and you, as soon as your heart is humble and you turn to him, I mean, this is, an, this is in a general sense of salvation, but this is every single situation. The Lord entered the battle. And that enemy is, it might be looking at you and cursing you, but it is not you. This is a battle between light and darkness, right? This is a battle between Satan and Christ, and I just happen to be the person in between. Try to hurt me to hurt him. You understand that? You know, that's the only reason he cares, to hurt you. Try to hurt God. And God's glory the further plan, your children, the people around you, the life around you, the witness, etc. That's all for God. It all comes out to his glory. You realize it's all for him. Gets you to put down your armor, you to run away, and the battle rages on and is never won. Then the enemy has territory that was meant to be the Lord's. It's all against God. And once we realize that, it doesn't mean you won't be afraid. It doesn't mean he won't still stand there and taunt at you. But we have to get to this place, and I, it's easy to say, harder to do, but where I just say, Lord, I'm utterly frustrated. I'm afraid. I'm shaken. I'm hurting. I'm bitter. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. I'm fearful, etc. I can't do it. But God, I know that you've done it before. This is what David does. I know you've done it before. And I don't know why you wouldn't do it today. It's your battle. Amen. We just thank you, Jesus, for this word that you have delivered to us. I pray, put it down deep in our hearts, Lord. Let this become life within us, a tree of life, Lord. This seed's going to grow, produce fruit for us. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you.